Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take that humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you might be able to tell from today's wardrobe attire uh, that today's guest is, well, he's a barman and a punk rock fan and a listener of Stoke the Fire podcast. And uh, we're thrilled to be welcoming onto today's show, originally from New Jersey, but now based in Columbus, Ohio, Jesse, two Jessies on the show this week, Jesse Leach, say hello to Jesse Hubbard. Mr. Hubbard, come join the conversation, brother. Yeah. <laughs> How are we doing today, guys? Good, man. Digging the posters behind you. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah, I like to represent. This is, uh, you know, I'm a little haven here in my house. Killer. Well, you've, got, you've got punk rock covered. We've got cocktails covered. In, in, <laughs> Something. You're liking, you're liking my shirt? There's all different kinds of drinks on this thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's the beautiful. sun's shining outside. Spring's in the air. Um, I'm not actually drinking at the moment, but you know we're going to talk all about alcohol today. So you've got an amazing book coming out, dude, um, which we will get to. But first of all, Jesse, where should we begin? Are you familiar with New Jersey as an area? Have you got any questions for your namesake in relation to his, you know, his part of the world where he originally came from? Um, not so much that, um, but I am interested. From New Jersey to Ohio, how did that happen? What was that all about? Yeah, it's it's a family affair, honestly. It's um, my dad is from the Bronx originally. Right. He, was from, yep. he was from the Bronx. My mom was from Ohio. They met in New Jersey, settled there, and then uh, there you go, there you have it. And then so ultimately, uh, when I went to school, I went to a high school here in Ohio, and I went to college in Ohio. Back to Jersey, bounced around a little bit. Lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Lived out in Eugene, Oregon. Ended up settling in Ohio just to be closer to my family and my wife's family, who's in Detroit, just nice. outside of Detroit. I'd say. Nice. Yeah. Back that. Yeah. <laughs> are you a bartender or are you just interested in alcohol? Where does the relationship with booze begin? <laughs> yeah, uh, both, to tell you the truth. Right um, so I used to work in radio. Uh, when I was living out in Jersey, I worked for a station called K Rock. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and um, you know, RIP, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> Not not the uh, LA K Rock. Is it a different thing to that? It's it's so the K Rock in LA was with a Q, right? With in New York it's with a K. So the the New York K Rock is where Howard Stern had his studio before he went to Satellite Radio. Did, did hmm. you did you used to work with Howard? I didn't. He left, and it was Opie and Anthony. If you're familiar with them, yep, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So like it, they took over the mantle right after that. And, it was a, um, a puppet act, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the uh <laughs> pretty pretty much no it's kidding yeah. <laughs> was it not was it not a puppet act opie and anthony 
No, it was, it was, it sounds like it should be though. It's, <laughs> it's, they're just like the kind of following the tradition of Howard Stern with the, the, the shock rock, you know, yeah. morning show DJ kind of thing. But that's not to say at some point they didn't have puppets. I'm sure that they probably did. <laughs> right. Brilliant. There you go. Um, so I was doing that and, uh, you know, it's expensive to work out there. So I was trying to make ends meet and I started bartending on the side and reading about it and learning about it over the course of a handful of years, radio, became less of a focus for me and I became more and more interested in bartending and running bars and managing bars and and uh, just sort of took off from there so I've been doing it uh since then well, Jesse, you've tended bar in New York right yeah yeah and I was just gonna say it's the it's the career that will never fail you because no matter where society is you know if it's apart if, from COVID yeah I know I know I know I can that's now going to be a subtext and everything I say when it comes to this, but, uh, yeah. you know, the liquor stores were considered essential. So alcohol, if you think about it really just never goes off and being a bartender, which, you know, I did spend some time behind a bar and there's a certain incredible energy you can get from that. The relationship you have with the people you work with versus the customers, your regulars, there's a whole incredible scene that happens there. That's got its ups and downs for sure. But, you know, the relationship of, of alcohol to society, it's, you know, it's kind of a, a no brainer career uh, choice for you to make, you know, bartender, you can kind of get work wherever you go. And I feel like what's cool about bartenders and, and back me up if you, if you feel I'm correct with this, when you get your regulars, once people realize who you are, there's a whole other level of like making a living with tips and stuff you can do here in the States where, you know, I've worked alongside people that I, to this day, I'm like, they were rock stars, like bartenders who just have this amazing finesse because the bar that i worked in was a cocktail bar so it's very much about presentation and we had this one guy who would just keep eye contact he would cut like literally cut a fresh rose and put it in front of the person with a napkin and the way he handled his ice like the guy was an artist and he used to make so much money because people just loved being around him that whole bartender vibe is a there's kind of a uniqueness to it and i'm sure you can attest how interesting it can be behind the bar no you hit the the nail on the head and i always like to say it's it's kind of just piggybacking on what you just mentioned but you know when you're when you're bartending and you're a good bartender you're you have to be on you know you're performing in a sense you know you are a rock star in a way and if you want to make that money and you want to get people to come in and go hey i want to check this guy out you know so there's a there's a real level of that and i have i have such um such uh respect for the industry as a whole because I've, I've worked alongside and seen so many people that i just think are think are amazing and it's uh it's something that i that i i hate when i hear people say that they're leaving to get a big boy or a big girl job because i've chosen this as my profession and i i have a lot of respect for it as i said it is a it is an adult job it's if you you can make a career out of doing this and to your point you can go anywhere in the world if you know how to make a good cocktail you know, it's, it can take you anywhere. And I, you know, I've traveled with this, you know, as my career, it's been, it's been great. I would say that over here in the UK, the whole tipping situation is just pretty diabolical. Um, and I've tended bar for probably eight years before I got into the music industry. That's all I did. And I loved the trade. I loved the people you meet in it uh, completely back in that whole, like the people I meet on the road who either, you know, do the sound with bands or merch with bands or they manage the venues. It's a similar type of person, these lifers that are trying to dodge the office confines, right? And they're a free spirit. I think those people exist in both the hospitality and bar trades and the music industry. 
But the, the, the problem we have in the UK is you, you can't really make, I don't think, as good a living doing it full time uh, unless you move up to management role. Like just being a bartender in the UK because people just, we're fuck, I think we're stingy bastards over here, but we just don't tip. Whereas I guess by all accounts, everything that I've heard suggests you can be a bartender in a city like New York and you can actually take home a decent wage because of tips if you're good at your job and you're putting on a show and you're, you know, service with a smile and all that shit. Um, but the, the tipping industry over there, I gather, just plays a huge part in that, right? Yeah, um, it, it really does. And, and it's all about the people that come in. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. If, if the people aren't coming out to see and support you, then it doesn't mean anything. So you can. You can be in New York. You can be in Chicago. You can be in LA. LA. You can be in Columbus, Ohio, you know, which is a large city in its own right. And you can make a living doing this without a doubt. Yeah, I've had some good times in Columbus, um, absolutely, with bartenders. And uh, that's the thing about touring, too, that I, I definitely miss sometimes more so than anything is just the uh, traveling and connection with people. And one of my favorite things to do on a day off, and I would do this by myself, sometimes just break away from the group and go have a cocktail at a nice cocktail bar. I'd be the guy in my bunk the day before looking up tiki bars, you know, cocktail bars, and then reading about bartenders actually keeping track and I follow a ton. I have a uh, two social media accounts on Instagram. One's a private page and, and I follow a ton of cocktails and bartenders. And I'm so fascinated by the, uh, you know, which we can get into this now, the mixture of certain things, the alchemy of, 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 of cocktails that, you know, it's in always fascinated me when you are at working in a bar and someone sits down and they don't know what they want and to watch a bartender navigate somebody who doesn't know what they want. It's a running joke with all bartenders. I'm sure, you know, like I want something sweet or not too sweet. And that whole conversation you can have, you can take it lightly and just sort of upsell them on whatever cocktail you think is going to make you money, or you can develop a quick relationship with this person and talk to them. And I've been, on the other side of a bar where a bartender just nails it and you feel a sense of camaraderie with them. You've got connection with them and they almost become your friend for a small amount of time. And you're right. There's a bit of acting and performance that goes into that, but the real good bartenders, you'd never know it that you feel like that connection, their friendship to them. And I would cozy up to a bar and make a new friend. And there's, there's a magic to that as well as like just being able to craft a nice cocktail and come up with a recipe. Like I worked alongside guys that would have their own cocktails that would get added to the menu and people would come in specifically for that cocktail for that bartender. And it becomes this whole other thing. And that's something that you can't teach. That's what, whenever one of my great joys in this industry is, you know, I, I, I didn't go to a bartending school. I, di I didn't do any proper, you know, uh, background with the training and whatnot. I just bugged bartenders to learn how to, how to do what I do. And I read about it and people taught me how to do this. So I always try to pay that forward. One of my great joys is teaching people how to do this. And if you come in with the right attitude and, a, and an authenticity and you're genuine and you want to connect with the guest, I can teach you how to make a drink. I can teach you how, you know, I can teach you about wine I can teach you about bourbon. I can teach you all that stuff, but it's the it's that X factor that you just touched on, which is what I want in a bartender, what I strive to be as a bartender. Either you have it or you don't, you know, are you real? Are you true? Are you genuine? And do you like to connect to the guests? Do you like people? That's, that's important. <laughs> 
there's almost two different kinds of shifts as well, isn't there? There's like the, the shifts when you're so busy, there's no time for that. You just have to make drink after drink after drink after drink. But then there's those day shifts when it is a bit quieter. You get more one-on-one time. And often, you know, this is a massive generalization, but often if you drift into a bar in the day, you're either going to be like perhaps on holiday, on tour, um, or you're just going to be, you know, maybe a little bit lost or displaced. And and bars, I think, are gathering places for and, you know, community centers in many ways for, I, I think, the disenfranchised and the lost. And so to go to a place like that and feel like you're valued there, like your presence is appreciated and to feel, you know, because some people just want to feel a human connection and go into a bar and be spoken to by another human being in a way that makes them feel alive and cared for. To be able to make somebody feel that way, as you both said, that it's such a special skill. And I've been in bars when I've felt low and I've been on my own or I've just been abroad and a little bit like, oh, I'm out of my depth here. And you can just sink into that stool and they can bring you into their bosom, male or female, irregardless, and make you feel safe and comfortable. And it's, it, it is. It's such a subtle art form and a skill and such a beautiful feeling when you are welcomed into a pub in that way because on the other side of it is you can walk into a bar and just not feel it at all right because you know the decor the music everything might be great about the space but that host who's in control of the space just puts you off wanting to be in there for too long and i tell you one of the the coolest things about that is i have developed real friendships with people that when that were just regulars at my bar so now we go out together and sit on the opposite side of the bar and have, have a drink or two, you know, and that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's something you don't necessarily expect going into it and you just hit it off with people. And uh, to your point about the, the two different types of shifts, you have to be able to do both. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's, that's a skill in and of itself. Yeah. The other thing as well, which I always used to really enjoy is often there'll be like a bunch of bars in a fairly close vicinity so people who are on their night off from perhaps the bar down the street will come into your bar and then vice versa on your night off, you'll go to theirs. And so you end up becoming friends with like all the bartenders in the community and you get to skip the queues. And do you know what I mean? Like everybody takes care of each other in that world as well, because it becomes like a real, almost like a backstage community. Like, you know, same way if you're a musician, you meet fellow musicians on the road, it becomes an extended family. The bar culture has that in abundance. They, they do. And it turns into this kind of funny, funny thing where, you know, your friends come out and they support you and they tip you way too much. And you're like, oh, that's so nice. And then you go to their bar and you tip them way too much. And it's basically passing the same money back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a gang mentality. That's the part of the job I actually miss most. And the also the most dangerous side of the job <laughs> is going out in full force with people you work alongside and you feel like a big gang and you go into a cocktail bar that you know is a bartender's after hours spot and you get, you know, you can see you, as soon as the doors open and you see that guy that you know he's like oh shit the gang's here top shelf grabbing the good shit coming down (laughs) shots around and you're there till the sun comes up and it's so much fun and you have such a great connection and such good memories for the most part but then there's that side of it where I got caught up in it where you're doing it way too much and then you know you're burning the candle at both ends but that sense of camaraderie is great and what I also love too is the analyzation. When you've got, you know, I used to sit shoulder to shoulder with, like I said, rock star guys that were getting paid big money, not only just to bartend, but to curate 
their own drinks and people were paying them money to help them roll out their cocktail program. So these guys have now traveled the world. I've got friends that are literally ambassadors for brands, scotch, whiskey, you know, uh, vodka, whatever. And so I've had tried drinks that these guys have created and had my mind blown. So what was the first drink that you had where you tasted it and you watched it being made and you were like, whoa, this is not just your regular, you know, vodka soda or like, you know, just something that you're like, wow, this totally piqued my interest. I can remember mine. It was a whiskey drink and uh, they mixed it with rosemary and they lit the rosemary on fire, doused it. And this is years ago and put it in the drink. And it was like this burnt rosemary whiskey, but it had a sweetness to it. It was just balanced in such a way where I was like, how did you even think to do these things? Was there a drink that sticks out in your mind where you were like, this is it. I'm so interested in this. Well, the first drink, it wasn't anything that was groundbreaking. So you gotta, you gotta understand this is at a time in my life when I'm drinking whatever kind of beer that my friend brings to the party. You know, I don't, I don't have any sort of actual good taste when it comes to this. We're drinking the bottom of the barrel stuff, you know, college parties and whatnot. And a friend of mine who was a little bit older came into this bar and he, he used to drink old fashions. And I remember dr- having an old fashioned for the first time. I'm like, Oh, this is a gateway drink. It, it, it is the gateway drink. It really is. And, you know, it, I remember having one of those and it, it wasn't necessarily the, the fanciest version or the most finely tuned version of it, but I was thinking, Oh, this is kind of cool. You know, I, I felt like a hot shot, you know, I'm sitting there at the bar with my old fashioned, you know, okay. Um, fast forward a few years later and, uh, it, and I don't remember specifically what the drink was, but we were at, uh, we were at a bar that had uh, an all original cocktail menu. So like everything on the menu was, was crafted in house, original recipes from the bartenders there. And that's what blew my mind was just looking at all of these unique things that can be done, um, you know, based on the knowledge that you have of the classics and you can take it all these different areas. And that was just, that was it. Yeah, such creativity, isn't it? You know, you're an artist then when you're making something out of nothing. It's the same as a writer or a songwriter or you know, an actor, comedian, all those things. Um, let's bring punk rock into the conversation, Jess. So this book that you have coming out is, you know, a combination of these two worlds, which I'm gathering now all three of us love. Cocktails, mixology and punk rock. Um, behind you, we see the Bouncing Souls. We see Henry Rollins, Offspring, Muse. Yeah, but, you know... Um, what got you into punk? Who was the first band album moment? And then from there, did you go down a specific lane for a while? And, and where are you at now? Do you love all of it? You like some parts more than others? Yeah. Talk us through your, your relationship with punk. Um, the, the first band was actually The Offspring. I was 13 years old in the summer of 94. Whenever The Offspring and Green Day. Boom. Summer and, of punk. And, yeah, summer of punk, exactly. No FX and Rancid. And they were all doing this cool stuff. A buddy of mine calls me up. And uh, he plays a song called Bad Habit over the phone. And my little 13-year-old mind was blown. I just I never looked back. And from there, I started going down the rabbit hole and, and really finding other bands. Even, you know, even though I have the New Jersey tie, I, I, was, I was really into the West Coast, Southern California punk bands with the gang vocals and you know, the, the fun bass intros. You know, it's a lot of the songs they do, which is really cool. So like, okay, you got Bad Religion and Pennywise and all the and no effects and Rancid and all those bands. And then you start thinking about where, you know, where were the different scenes where it all came from? You got the New York scene, the UK scene, West Coast, DC punk, all these different things. And I mean, man, like I love it all. And I don't listen to only punk rock these days. I mean, in, in, in the book itself, 
it's called punk rock and cocktails. Not every band in the book is technically punk rock. It's for me, it's more of an ideology, uh, a, a spirit of being true to yourself of being punk rock than it is a certain style of music, because I certainly love, I love, you know, you know, Black Flag. I love the Keith Morris version. I love the Henry Rollins version, two totally different bands, for example, you know, so it's, I listen to a, a lot of different styles of music, but punk rock is really the scene that I kind of grew up in in those formative years and really shaped who I am, I think, for the better uh, and really gave me that kind of independent spirit. Yeah, I can definitely speak to that. And, you know, I think to piggyback on that too, you know, punk is definitely a state of mind. So, you know, there is a punk sound that sort of started in the seventies and, and morphed into what people see it as now. Cause you know, there are punk purists that would argue, Oh, this band doesn't sound punk. But to me, it's, it's always been about the spirit, you know? And I like that you mentioned that cause it's a lifestyle. It's something that, you know, I'm 42 years old and I have that same spirit of if someone's not going to allow me to do it, I'm going to do it for myself. And that's the spirit behind a, a lot of people who have become entrepreneurs or, or creative types or people who just don't take no for an answer. And I love the fact that, you know, you're talking about this book that you created and it is because of the spirit of where you came from. So it's interchangeable, the, the music and the sound and the fury, if you will, of what punk rock is. And I love that that's driving you. Um, so I guess for me is where, where do the two meet? Do you think it is just the spirit of behind punk rock that sort of fueled you to go, oh, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to throw out a book. I mean, not everybody sits there and says, oh, I'm going to write a book or never mind a book about specifically cocktails. I find that intriguing. So how did that come about? Like, when did you say to yourself, I'm going to do this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, my support system, my circle of my circle of people have been encouraging me for some years now that like, you should write a book. And, question I would always pose to them is why would anybody care about a book that I wrote? You know what I mean? If you're my friend, sure. You know, my mom wants a copy. Sure. But, but if you don't know who I am, why do, why do you care? I like to think I'm pretty good at my job and I like to think that I'm good at making a cocktail and uh, you know, and, and, but that's not enough. You have to find a unique niche. And what, what was my other passion? It's music. It's always been music. So as I sat and thought about this cool kind of niche that I could maybe kind of, you know, slide into here, it was always there the whole time. It was always there. It was always music and cocktails. Now, how do I bring those together? It started with, um, you know, me reaching out to all these bands and making sure it was okay. Can I have your permission? Do you want to be in the book? The feedback that I got from some of these bands who I love and admire were, was amazing. You know, they're like, Oh my God, you know, this, let's do it. You know? So we got, we've got like Henry Rollins is in, is in the book. He doesn't even drink, but he was excited about it. You know, like Lucero, Dropkick Murphy, some of these other bands, and the, the feedback I was getting was, all right, this, there's something here. I'm on to something. Um, and then That's last cool year, that you asked permission as well, because assumedly, I mean, would you have to legally? Because well, I just put out a book last year, and I, I didn't have to ask permission to include the interviews that went in it. But my publisher said it's a cool thing to do out of respect. And I was like, of course. But I wasn't actually legally obliged to. I was wondering whether with that, would the trademark thing come into it if you're using the band name? It's a gray area. It's, it's right. the band name and the album artwork. So I was told, Henry Rollins himself even told me that I don't need permission. Yeah. Uh, but, and I was also told that it could be, it could fall under the fair use law. Um, but these are bands that are important to me and I wanted to handle it in a respectful way. I didn't want there to be any, any, Hey, how did this happen? You never reached out to us. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was same, important. Same deal. Yeah. Yeah. Same deal. It was important for me to be respectful and just to be cool about it. And hopefully, you know, uh, you know, they, they were into it as well. And, and they, and they were, um, 
That's a great question. And that's something that I really kind of went back and forth about because there's a couple bands that I really wanted to, to have in here that I like, I really, really wanted to try to get a hold of somebody in Iggy Pop's camp to get Iggy Pop in here. And I just could not get through to him, you know? And I was it's like, funny because Iggy's my number one like punk guest for my podcast, Life in the Stocks. I've had John Lydon on. I've had like all the oh. 90s bands you're referring to. Um, I've got Offspring coming up soon. And, and Iggy's like the Holy Grail. Um, but he's elusive. I mean, I actually know someone in his camp. If you want to get that message to him, I can help you out there. I can't quite get him on my show, but I could probably get your request in. <laughs> but yeah, man. So the idea of combining the two, obviously it makes sense because you love music, you love cocktails. Um, there has to be a creative way which makes it make sense. So talk us through what was the first drink, the first recipe that you were like, fuck yeah, this makes sense. This is going to, because you can't just go, here's Black Flag, my war. You know, or maybe you could if it's just a blue drink. You know, the, the links can be very tenuous. How deep did you go with the, the reasoning and, and, and the, you know, the link and the, the, the name and the brand and everything to make each drink really stand on its own and make sense? Oh, that's the offspring drink or whichever, you know, bands you have sure. in the book. Sure. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, so it all started a handful of years ago. This is something I've kind of been doing already was, you know, you know, I'll, I'll put on a record and I'll listen to it and I'll be inspired. And I, I try to, and it, this doesn't always make sense to people, but it sounds kind of silly, but I try to make the drinks look like the album sounds to me, how it makes me feel. It's amazing. That, yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I already had one in, in, in that made sense for Lucero. I'm a big fan of Lucero and I did one for them. Um, called Noon as Dark as Midnight, named just directly after their song. Some of them are named right after the songs. Some of them are just like a kind of a, a wink at a song. But this Noon as Dark as Midnight, it was this big, rich, deep, dark version of a Manhattan that I completely flipped upside down and made it its own thing. I was going to say, it had to be whiskey if it's Lucero, man. <laughs> yes, sir. It had to be. <laughs> yep. Exactly. It was. It was. You know, what? there's no other way. And they were... They were one of the first bands that I reached out to as well, like I said, and they were into it and super excited about it. And, uh, you know, they said, hey, can we get some copies of this whenever you're done? And I'm like, all right, I'm on to something. So and then I just kind of went down the list and I had like like the Menzingers. And I'm a big fan of those guys. And, and uh, you know, I've got uh, like the Bronx are in here and just like different cool bands, and, like different styles. And, you know, it's all but it's all they're all bands that are important to me. And I've got these personal stories like the Bouncing Souls. And I went, I went to the Bouncing Souls show one time. I got knocked unconscious almost. With I got a big gash in my head. My buddy gives me a shot of Jack Daniels. He said, like, this will make you feel better. Well, guess what? what's in the Bouncing Souls cocktail? You know what I mean? It's Jack yeah, Daniels. So, so, so it's a personal connection to you and yeah. your life as much as it might be, oh, this is like a, a clear reference to the band. That's great. I try to make it a little bit of both. And, I, yeah, yeah. and, I, and I, it's not a straight cocktail book. It's I have the cocktail recipes, but also I've got a little story about why I love this band, why I love this album, and why I did what I did. You know, like these... These, they're like less than Jake, right? I've got this fun, bright, summery cocktail that reminds me of going to the Warp Tour when I was a kid, you know? And just like, that's fun stuff like that. And you, gar you garnish it with the dreadlock? Just <laughs> <laughs> Snip one off Roger's head, <laughs> chuck it in the cup. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I ask you what the Bronx one is? The Bronx one is, so it, it, I have these fun flavors in there and the base of it is tangerine juice. And, but I do a red wine float. So it's got a little bit of like the blood feel to it, you know, mm -hmm. like their debut album. It's got like the blood coming out of the of the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's fun. It's um, it's uh, I use like a honey sesame syrup in there, so it's sweet and it's dry, 
and also mm. has that nice that nice color of the bright red popping on the orange. It's pretty cool. I love it. Yeah, because it isn't isn't all about it's not just about taste; it's about visual too. I love the visual element of a good cocktail. You know, I've been to uh, that place. It's a fairly famous bar, Death and Company, and yeah. uh, the one time I got to go in there man the visuals on some of those drinks it's really cool so yeah i like that you're describing the visual element of it too because that is part of the uh the look and the feel of a good cocktail i gotta ask you because i'm super curious you mentioned henry rollins and he doesn't drink do you know that off the top of your head what you did did for him i I do yeah so i used so uh, i didn't do a black flag album i did it based on um one of Rollins band's albums and I did uh so I'm a big fan of the song Liar that he that they did back in the day so I read looking me red yeah what's that is it gonna be red like he was in the video I love that video it is a little bit yeah exactly it's what I was thinking um like this the 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 cocktail is called Imperfect Truth and it is it's got like a red uh kind of hue to it bourbon based uh, but also I did a, uh, a chili syrup. So it's got the spicy heat to it. It's really, oh, nice. really quite nice. Uh, a little bit of um, juice to give us some citric, citric, you know, uh, kind of acidity to it to kick it off. Some bitters. It's really nice. And I serve it in a tall columns glass with um, uh, like a pepper garnish on it. It's really kind of cool. Oh, I and dig it, that. To me, it represented the intensity and the heat of just Rollins in general. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm picturing his face as you say that with his like his neck all out. <laughs> exactly. I love it, man. Let me ask you this. This is like a slight side topic, but I'm interested to get your take on it. What do you make as somebody who clear clearly cares about the art form of making nice drinks? You know, you have this tendency and culture where people want to have like disgusting shots. You're like, let's get the rankest thing on the menu, and it's like drinking. It's horrible. What? Where do you stand on that kind of? Because I almost see that as like a total disrespect of mixology, and it's like it's not supposed to be gross. It's supposed to be nice, but there is a real demand for that like gross shot, and it does often come more in the shot form than you know a long glass. But I mean, would you ever serve something like that if asked? And what's your what's your stance on the the gross <laughs> cocktail? Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, I wouldn't want to drink those, but I have the philosophy of give the people what they want. Um, I'm not a fan of the pretentious bartender. If, you know, if, if if somebody comes in and they're like, you get a lot of people like, oh, I just want like this, you know, I just want like, a sex Bud on Light. the beach. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Like, if they want that, cool. But people come in, they're like, oh, I just want a Bud Light. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, of course it's okay. If, if like, if we have it in the bar, I want you to be happy and I want you to feel comfortable. And that goes back to building the relationship. I don't want you to ever feel judged. Or like I'm looking down at you, you know, uh, from a, from like my my high mountain of cocktails. Um, and th- there's enough cocktail barmen like that out there, isn't there? That have yeah. that snobbery. There are, there are, and you know, when I go out to a bar, I've encountered it from time to time as well. And you know, they might not know, you know, they don't know that I'm in the industry as well. And uh, and they're just not, not based on the order, but just based on just their per, uh, personality looking down on you. And it's just it's it's unfortunate that gives the industry a bad name uh on the whole uh and i and i try to you know impart on, on that onto my staff that like we don't ever want to be that way don't ever scoff at somebody if they come in and they want to they want to you know a vodka soda you know what i mean or whatever it is you you know like or they want to they want a harvey Wallbanger or sex on the beach or whatever it is or they order a shot of something that you might not like make them feel welcome make them feel you know comfortable in our house and uh and they'll come back and then you might make a little bit of money, which is kind of why yeah. we do it as well. 
the same could be said in reverse for a dive bar. You know, I've been in dive bars and you see people try to order something that is fairly easy to make, but the bartender's just like, fuck no, I ain't doing that shit. There's, there's a, there's a charm to it. It's kind of funny, but yeah, it, it kind of goes both ways. And and you're right. The bottom line is make people make your customer feel fucking happy. Like yeah. I, to me that, that whole like snobby sort of like, I fucking hate it. Look, I get it. I love good cocktails, but I'm not going to scoff at somebody for wanting what makes them feel happy, like a PBR and a shot of Jack. Who gives a shit? Exactly. Yeah, it's well said. Yeah. Also, know your environment and don't go to a dive bar and ask for a really <laughs> yeah. fancy, exquisite <laughs> cocktail when you can clearly see, like, you know, all the bottles are just covered in dust and nothing's been used other than yeah. that house whiskey in years. <laughs> or, or do, or do, and wait for the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> So is the book is available and out, is it, Jess? Is it out there in the world? Have you released it already? It is out there in the world. It's available on Amazon. If people want to support uh, local and keep it indie, they can buy it on uh, bibliopublishing.com. Um, nice. And I, I've had some people reach out to me as well. And just people can always reach out to me on Instagram, uh, Jesse Hubbard Cocktails. If they have any questions about anything, you know, and pe- people do often because they might be overseas they want to know how they can get a better shipping rate. And I was like, all right, I got you. I'll figure something out. <laughs> That's awesome. And my my other question is, and you should definitely, not to be a shameless self-promoter here, but you should definitely check out my other podcast because all the bands that you mentioned there have been guests on it and you'd love it. Um, and since writing a book based on that show, I'm going to do multiple volumes now. So I wanted to ask you, you have this really strong concept, which you could clearly roll out indefinitely as long as the demand's there. So are you going to look to do in volume two, volume three, and you know, add in perhaps other genres or keep it punk, add in other bands? Like, is it something you want to evolve? Because it's, yeah, it's a cool concept, man. And I don't know of anything like it having been done already. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate that. Uh, to answer the question, yeah, uh, I'm already in the early stages of reaching out to some bands for volume two. And, you know, it's still going to be under the punk rock and cocktails moniker. Eventually it might branch out. My publisher wants me to maybe do some, you know, like some other genres if I'm open to it and just like blank, blank and cocktails, whatever. But I want to keep a punk rock and cocktails for a while and, build yeah, that no. brand isn't it it is yeah just kind of keep keep the brand going so i've got some cool bands you know like rancid's on board for volume two against me um the ball stones my uh gaslight anthem I, I reach out to side one dummy and they're all on, on board with like yeah anybody we've got you know like let's make it happen and amazing um, i'm excited about it so yeah yeah for sure it's uh i'll keep it going as long as people seem to care about it i'm gonna it's it's a great passion project of mine well, I, have a, I have a suggestion real quick. If you haven't done it already, um, have you ever done a video of you making the cocktails and talking about them to like sort of sell your book? Because I would be interested to in seeing you make the cocktails and maybe like the listener or watcher at home could try to make them too. If you haven't already done that, just the thought, man, I think that'd be pretty, pretty fucking cool for you to do. That's a great idea. And, and I thought of that. And I didn't do it. haven't done it yet. I wanted the book to have a little bit of time to come out and kind of breathe. Yeah. And I and so slowly but surely, I've been integrating some of the cocktails from the book into my Instagram feed. You know what I mean? But I didn't want to do it all at once because why buy the book? But yeah, now people yeah. have had it. It's been out for about a month, <laughs> and now maybe I can start making some cocktail videos. I love that idea, man. I'm, I'll probably definitely have to do that. Well, what, you, what you got to do is you got to make the cocktails for members of the bands that they're based on. What you've also got to do if it comes back, which I'm praying it does, next year is approach Flogging Molly 
about doing not only a drink for them, but getting on their Flogging Molly cruise, which is the best thing you'll ever do. Um, I DJ'd it a couple of years ago. It's the best weekend of my life. And you can like live mix the Flogging Molly cocktails on the Flogging Molly cruise. That is amazing. That's my gift to you, Jess. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And that works out perfectly because they have got a couple of releases on side one dummy. So I'm already in talks to include them in the book. I had not thought of that. That's that's brilliant. I love it. That was a great gift. Thank you. My pleasure, dude. Well, it seems like you're already out there hustling, and uh, I, I see a kindred spirit in you. And I just love it. I can't wait to – can you send me and Jesse a, uh, perhaps a copy of the book so we can get making some some of your concoctions at home over summer? Once Absolutely. the sun I'd... starts coming out, the shirts start coming out. <laughs> I'd be happy to. It'd, it'd be my pleasure. Amazing. Yeah, this is great, man. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I'm, I look forward to checking it out for sure. It sounds like a really great concept and something that – as Matt was saying, I've never really heard before, and I think it's brilliant. Thank you guys so much. Thank you sincerely. Thanks for coming on the show, dude, and uh, all the best with everything, and hopefully we'll see you at a punk rock show in the new world when things are up and running again. Yes, sir. <laughs> the new world. Looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming. Um, you take care, man. All the best, and uh, cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers, brother. Cheers. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 